This morning's topic is one that maybe you would not think that like this is what we're about, but it's one of those things that we need to think about to make it part of what we're about. So I want you to fill in the blank here. Is that going to be too tiny? I think we can read that. Fill in the blank. It's the, don't answer. Just put this in your head. It's the job of the blank to teach and admonish the local church. I think I know how most of us would answer that. Hold on to your answer. We're going to come back to it. Let me pray. Um, first, if you'll just turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I'll have the text up there, but it's always great to have it right in front of your face. Colossians chapter 3. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your work in your people, how you have put together perfectly crafted your people into a body that works together. And I thank you for how you have enabled people to serve each other in different ways. I thank you for how you have gifted Edgewood Church from the leadership throughout the rest of the body. We thank you for giving us Matt Harmless and the life and the gifts you've given to him and his dedication to serve you. We thank you for... Um, the Nardoni family, the, the uh, young people helping lead us today to sing to you. I pray that you would help us this morning now as we look at your word, that we would hear from you speaking in your word. It would be clear to us what you are saying in your word to us. We ask that the meditations of our hearts and the thoughts that we have, that they would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so hang on to that. It's the job of the blank to teach and admonish the local church. So I have been um, involved in church ministry since 1999 in, in many different ways. But for some reason, <laughs> with the exception of only like one year, I've been tied into music ministry. <laughs> and it's funny because... I'm really not that great and talented with it. I just happen to usually be in a church where, okay, well, he's got skills. Go ahead and do that. Um, and I do love it when I get to be in churches where there are people that actually know what they're doing a lot more because <laughs> then I have a lot to learn. But I know in, in most of the churches that I've been in, there's often been the role of me having to pick the songs that we're going to sing. Uh, and I, in the beginning, I made, and along the way, I've made a lot of mistakes in how I know what songs to pick. Um, in the beginning, I'd pick them just because I liked the way they sounded. <laughs> um, I, I liked how much they moved me when they were performed, or I picked a lot of times just because how popular, popular they were. Um, I, I really put very little thought into, one, why do we sing? And I didn't put any thought really into what God has to say about why we sing or what we should sing. So the one verse that I want us to unpack today is one of only two, or really two key texts in the New Testament that talk about the singing of the church. 
in the New Testament. Okay, there's a lot in the Old Testament. But the New Testament has two verses. And we're going to look at one of the key texts. The other one is in Ephesians, and it's almost parallel, almost identical. We're going to look at Colossians 3.16. But this verse has tremendously helped me understand how God wants his church to think about singing. Now, I'm picking out a verse right here in the middle of the text. And last week, I preached about preaching, right? And I said it'd be easy for us to pick topic verses and then just take them out of context. So let me build a little context for you. In Colossians chapter 3, if we'd start at verse 12, just a few verses before that, Paul starts talking to that local church about what life should look like walking together. Things like putting on kindness and compassionate hearts, humility and meekness and bearing with one another and forgiving each other. He's talking in these verses about how to be a local body together. So when you get to verse 16, he's still talking about that. So keep that in mind. Let's read verse, three, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So before we dig into this verse to unpack it, I'm going to bring up frightening memories for some of you. We're going to go back and think a little bit about grammar in school. How many of you actually enjoyed grammar in, high, in school? There's like three of you. <laughs> Sam, really? <laughs> well, good, because I'm going to need your help. Now, I know some of you are like, I couldn't do that. That was the worst thing ever. But you can, and you probably should. I'm going to make an argument why you should, like kind of refresh your grammar a little bit. But let me just remind you, a subject of a sentence is the person, place, or thing doing something or being something in a sentence. Remember that? So if we have this little simple sentence, she went, she is your subject, right? She is the one, a person, doing something, right? And then we have the predicate, that's the other part of the sentence, and that part of the sentence is telling us what, what? It's telling us what the subject is doing or what the subject is about. So the predicate of this sentence is went. She went. It, this tells us what you're doing or what the sentence is about, right? So now bear with me. I know you're like, why do we have to do this, Paul? This is Trust me, there's, try not to tune me out here because this is really important for us to think about basic grammar, subjects and verbs and all that stuff. When you got into high school, you got into really fancy grammar and you learned this thing called an adverbial phrase. Right? So I added on to my sentence, she went back home singing. All right? So an adverbial phrase is a way to describe how the doing stuff is happening. So this tells us how she went and where she went, right? She went back home, and how she did she go? She went singing. It's an adverbial phrase. Now, you're like, why does this matter, <laughs> right? It matters because if you take time in reading your Bible and think about, okay, what is this sentence saying? If you don't pay attention to grammar, you may actually put the emphasis on the wrong syllables. <laughs> you may put 
at, look at the wrong part of the verse and think that's the point of the verse when you've missed what the subject and the verb are. Because the subject controls what the sub sentence is about. The verb tells you what the subject's doing. And everything else after that depends on those things. So you can't just pick, and, and our ver Bibles are numbered really bad. That's not in the original. <laughs> like, especially this. This is a letter Paul wrote. He didn't write numbers in it. Trust me, I've seen the manuscripts. They're just like, and they're all in capital letters, all smashed together. <laughs> We've put the verse numbers in there to help us kind of organize our thoughts. When you're looking at a verse, you need to find where's the beginning of this sentence, where does it end? What we're looking at today is actually one sentence. And we need to understand grammar first, just so that I can understand what it is saying. What does the text say? And anybody that has a little bit that can read can do that. And you don't even have to have the Spirit to be able to do that. And that's because God didn't give us the Bible in a cryptic code. He gave it to us in language that we can speak and understand. That's important because if he didn't, Liam and Kagan couldn't understand he, they couldn't open the Bible and read it for themselves, could they? He made it so that even children can open the Bible and read it for themselves. That's important. Now, the first part then, when you're studying the Bible, is to look and just say, what does it say? And after you've got that is where we talked about in Sunday school this morning, you need the Spirit then to say, okay, now what is God speaking to me? Now that I understand what it says, why does it matter? So, let's look at the grammar of this sentence first before we actually unpack and say, what is God saying to us about our singing? We'll tackle the hardest thing first. What is the subject of this sentence? Say again, the word of Christ. Now, it's actually not that. I know, you're like, wait, what? Technically, it's the word you. You're like, wait, that's not even in there, Paul. You're messing with me. That's, now I feel like I'm back in learning grammar, <laughs> right? It's a command, and technically in a command, that's you let the word of Christ dwell in you. So technically it's you, but you're right, Donnie, in just, if we're thinking about what the sentence is about, the word of Christ is the subject. Now, what's the verb? Dwell. So this sentence, everything that follows after it, is about the word of Christ dwelling in you. Dwelling in you. To, to, we'll, get, we'll unpack what that means. Everything else in this sentence hinges off of that. It'd be easy for us to kind of take these apart and, and just look at little phrases and say, that's what that's all, that's all about. You have to put it all together, Okay. So, you remember our little phrase that I wrote, she went back home singing, she is subject, went was the verb, went back, back home singing is all those adverbial phrases, what are the adverbial phrases here? I'm going to arrange these same words, just put it so you can see it a little bit better. See, we put the subject and the verb, and then I just put everything on its next line. Do you see all those adverbial phrases? They are describing how the word of Christ is to dwell in you. Really important to see, because you could get hung up and think, because Bob and I actually on Thursday got it wrong. 
both of us, because he said, I asked him, what's the main verb in this sentence? And he told me, teaching and admonish. And I said, yeah. Now, we didn't have it in front of us. We were just kind of going off memory. So we'll give ourselves you know, excuse that way. It's actually not. The main verb is to dwell. This is an adverbial phrase describing how to let the word of Christ dwell in you. Same thing, same thing. All right, so we, we now see what the text is saying. What's the text, what is the text saying? Now, this, this what, there, I've got two arguments here that I want you to hear real carefully. <laughs> Part of this is teaching, then I'm going to get into preaching here, okay? What are the adverbial phrases? I know we'd see this, teaching and admonishing. This word richly is actually an adverb as well. It'd be easy. You see the singing, and your mind probably goes, okay, that's an adverbial phrase too. This is why we need multiple translations, folks, <laughs> because that isn't actually how the original is worded. It's just the translators are struggling with something to put the words together so that you can put it in English from Greek. And this is why having multiple translations when you're studying the Bible will help you get an understanding. And you don't even have to know Greek and Hebrew. Because if you take like a King James, a New American Standard, an ESV, and take some of the looser translations like NIV and NLT, put them together, you're going to see what that original is saying without even knowing Greek or Hebrew from the Old Testament. Okay? It's going to help you. And I was looking. This is also why the Internet's helpful. Because if you go to... BibleGateway.com. If you have not found that website, I highly recommend it because it's got like 35 translations you can look at. Very helpful. Found this literal New Testament translation. And I have, I am able to read Greek. <laughs> and I looked at them like, oh my goodness, this is like word for word in order, just as the Greek letter is positioned every word. I don't know if you can see the difference yet, so I'm going to put them right on top of each other. And you're going to see the difference here. So tell me, this is not rhetorical. What are the differences you see here in these two different land translations? I'll read it so you can kind of think about it for a second. Let the word of Christ be dwelling in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with gratitude, singing with your hearts to God. English Standard ESV, what we use here, which is a really great translation. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What are the differences you see? Matt? The, the with jumping out there. That with, yeah. and it should jump out. Like it's really interesting because it's, he uses the same little Greek word and um, it's, it's symmetrical even. It's kind of interesting how Paul writes. What else do you see? What? Be dwelling. Yeah. So this feels awkward for us as English. That's why when you find one of these literal translations, it feels awkward. That's why your NIVs and ESVs, they struggle. Because if they're going to translate it super literally, that's actually probably not helpful to Liam to read. Because it's, it's robotish, right? You don't want that. But it at least helps you understand we call tense in grammar, actively be dwelling, okay? What else do you see? Where is, is there a word singing 
in the top one, where's the word singing in the top one? Right down here near the end. The ESV pushed it up here. Because what that does, and this is why I don't, I don't like the way they translated this one. By doing that, what you may read this as, the way to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly is two ways. This is what the, I would think this translation is helping you see. How do I let the word of Christ dwell in me? I teach and admonish each other, and I sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and that's how I sing. But that's not what the text is saying. The way it's translated is you let the word of Christ dwell in you with teaching and admonishing each other. How do we teach and admonish each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? How do we sing with gratitude singing? I think they got that position right there, and that helps. Do you see that key difference? You could come away thinking that there's two ways I want that the word of Christ is supposed to dwell in me. It's through teaching and admonishing. Okay, that's the preaching stuff. And then there's the singing stuff. That's not what the text is saying, though. You see that? This is really interesting to me. When I've studied this out, I was just like, what? Because it takes me away. I'm getting into my sermon part. <laughs> Let's go there. So um, that's what I wanted you to see. That's what the text says. So now think about this. I think we can see. And this is the King James right here. I think the King James actually got it pretty good too. It's, surprisingly, there's not a lot of these and thous in this one. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Comma. Now, there aren't usually commas in the Greek, by the way. So if you see a comma, the translators put that there to help you understand what they think it's, how it's supposed to be structured. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace. So they connect that these things are part of this thing, that psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are part of teaching and admonishing. So here's what Paul's saying. Because prior to this, he says, one another, one another, one another. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. That's all. Starting in verse 12, all these one another's. And he gives another one another. Teach and admonish one another in a way that you guys can do together. Sing together. Sing to one another. And to God, interestingly. So have you thought about this? That our gathering as a local church it's not supposed to be a spectator sport. Even in the preaching, your mind is supposed to be actively engaged, listening and arguing with me in your head. We can argue later out <laughs> with words, right? Actually, like, engaging with us and engaging with the Spirit. Like, God, what do you, like we learned last week, ask the Lord to speak in this sermon. That's an active lot of work. But the singing as well is supposed to be your active participation. The gathering of the local church is meant to be a team experience, right? We're meant to do this together, to exalt the God together. So now let's get into the, 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 the preaching part, if you will, like the explanation of we've understood now what the text is saying. Let's see what is God saying to us. Now that we understand what it literally says, what is God saying to us as a church? And I wanted to summarize what I think the point of this verse is saying. When we gather, we are to sing with all kinds of songs so that the word of Christ dwells in us here at Edgewood Church. I think that's what the point of this verse is saying, is that when we gather, we're to sing all kinds of songs so that the word of Christ dwells in us here at Edgewood Church. 
And I want to just highlight quickly seven points that this verse makes about singing to show you how vitally important singing is for you. All right? So let's go seven attributes of our singing. First of all, I think we see the purpose of our singing. That first phrase says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. As we saw, that, that phrase is what controls the rest of the sentence. And all that singing stuff that follows hinges off of that, right? To dwell in us is to talk about having Christ like take up residence within our gatherings. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Pastor Joe Hammerkels used to put it this way. It's about Christ being present and in charge. I like the way he says that. Because I, here, it's about Christ being in charge of our singing and filling up our singing. So we have to ask, okay, what's the word of Christ part? What is that? And I think it's two things. It's the one, or one, the what Christ is, who Christ is. It's the word about who Christ is. He was the Son of God. He's the Messiah, right? That's the word of Christ. But I also think it's the, the words that Christ himself spoke. Because it can't be just limited to, um, it's that, it's what he spoke in his ministry in the Gospels, but it's more. It's who he is. It's, so it's all of Christ whether it's what he said, what he's doing. And, and by the way, all of this is what Christ has spoke, right? Those red letter things, that isn't all Jesus, only Jesus' words, because it's all. It says all scripture is given by inspiration, right? So the point here, what is the purpose of our singing? It's so that Christ would be central in everything in such a way that he's taking up residence even in our singing and our gathering, so that when an outsider comes in and visits us, when they hear our singing, they say, man, those people are all about Jesus. That's what it's saying, that when they come and they hear us sing, they should not say, hmm, uh, they really care? <laughs> Do they really care about what they're singing about? And if you've been encouraged by the songs here, I hope it would be about this next attribute, about the depth of what Christ represents. So the verse says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, how? Richly, richly. The depth of our singing, there's to be a depth, it's saying. Richly means there's got to be a depth to it. If you go back to chapter 2 in Colossians Paul says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So when we're letting the word of Christ dwell in our midst by singing to one another, if the singing's focused on Christ, then there's going to be a depth actually that'll never stop. It'll be, it's going to be like a mine. Can you imagine a mine that they discover that it just never stops producing jewels and precious metals. Like they just keep digging and it never is exhausted. That's what Christ is like. 
and the nature of our singing, the word of Christ richly needs to come out. So there needs to be a depth to the content of our singing. Third attribute, the content of our singing. Because it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. In all wisdom. Paul's going to tell us how our singing is to let the word of Christ dwell in us, but he first says that the word of Christ is going to dwell in us in all wisdom. How many of you remember, and maybe, maybe you're doing this right now with the littles, feeding them cereal, like a rice cereal? So that rice cereal, it's pretty much not a lot to it, right, nutrition-wise. In fact, in the 1930s and 40s, there was a product called pablum. And some of you are laughing because you know that has a modern word today. But pablum was this kind of like the rice cereal we feed to the babies. And you're just trying to get them to start to eat solids, right? And, and back then, though, they would heat it up and it was considered nutritious. <laughs> well, the funny thing is it actually had like no complex carbs, no protein, very little at least. So in other words, it was temporary filling but didn't do a lot for you. And nowadays, this word pablum is used to describe bland entertainment. Okay? That's exactly the opposite of what God wants our songs to be. He does not want our songs to be pablum. He wants them to be showing us who God is in his enormity. If you think about even that So Will I song, it's, it's very poetic, but it's got a rich... You, you walk away from singing that. I remember the first time I heard Dan first sing it up here for us, and I'm like, whoa. I just felt like one of those where you're walking into the, in one of those astronomy places and you kind of feel like you're in the stars. That's a depth that's showing us that our God is vast. It's really kind of focused on a couple of his attributes, but that's the nature of our song should not be... Jesus, Jesus, 87 times. Because that's not really saying anything about Jesus. There's got to be some depth that's showing us the depth of who he is. Let's look at the fourth attribute of what our song should be from this text. Okay, I'm not, this is just each taking apart each word here. The manner of our singing is to be teaching and admonishing with a variety of songs. So at the very beginning, I asked you a question. I said, it's the job of blank to teach and admonish. And if I, think, if I, if I was you, like most of the time, I think I would answer that's the pastor's job, right? To teach and admonish. And it is, but this verse says that it's not just the pastor's job. In fact, it's not just Jeff's job in leading us with music or Ashley, it's y'all. And the reason I know that is because the word you in this verse is in the plural, which in English today is you. <laughs> there's not, that's why y'all is actually kind of helpful because it helps you see there's more than one in the you. In the King James, you had a way of seeing the, the plural, and our English language is kind of watered down as that happens with languages. There's so much to say about this phrase in the, in the verse, but I want to just break it down into three areas, okay? I want to talk about what our songs ought to be, 
what our songs are and what our response should be. So first, what our songs ought to be. This text is saying to us that our songs ought to teach. That's why I spent so much time showing you the grammar, because if you didn't read that carefully, you'd think churches let the word of Christ dwell in you by teaching and admonishing each other, and they do singing. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying that our songs ought to teach and admonish each other. The music isn't even mentioned in this. In fact, the whole New Testament has very little about the music itself. In fact, I went through my sermon with a search here to make sure in my script that how much do I even say about the word music? I'm about to say all I'm going to say about music itself because it's not really the point. The point is the content and what the singing should do. Here's all I'm going to say about music. Music should always carry the message to us in a way that makes the message stick to my heart and mind. Think about that. The music, whatever music you're going to do, needs to be able to be effective at carrying the message to you right here. And that takes a lot of work, right, musicians, to not let the music get in the way but make it beautiful, but that we're still getting that message to the people. I think we tend to think that this teaching and admonishing thing is just the preaching time of the service, that somehow the singing like the prelude, like the warm-up, but it can't be. That's not what this verse is saying. This song is, this, ter- this, this verse is saying that our songs ought to teach. And here's what's interesting. All songs teach. They teach something, either directly or indirectly, right? Indirectly, a song may say something, teach something by what it's not saying, right? So, If they're teaching that knowing and loving God means we don't press on to know deeper things about God, well, that's not the kind of content we want to have. Now, don't hear me saying, I think there may be all kinds of thoughts going in your brain right now. (laughs) Don't hear me saying that only the old songs or even those modern hymns are the only good songs. That is not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying that songs that teach directly that are rich with wisdom from God's word and exalt God's character or the gospel or Christ or all the above, that's what we need to have. So let me give you an example of one that's modern, that's not a hymn. My portion, right? Wait, oh, did I not put the words on my... I'll read those words to you. Listen from the song, My Portion. It's just from verse one. It says, for past and present blessing, I thank you, gracious Lord. I reverence every precept and promise in your word. Oh, this sweet assurance is more than all to me. Lord, you are my portion, and forever more will be. Bob and I were talking. He just We learned this Thursday that this guy's like a walking Bible. Like He's almost like Jack Van Empey, the guy that has the entire Bible memorized. <laughs> he's almost there. <laughs> but he was talking about like when he sings certain songs, he's like, I know that chapter. I know that. I've read that. That that psalm, my portion, is actually taking song. It's taking a couple of the psalms, paraphrasing them and putting them together. That's what our songs ought to do because it's teaching us about Christ, teaching us about God. So our songs also ought to admonish. Um, I think the word that mostly comes, the thought that comes to our heads when we think about the word admonish is like me as a parent 
telling my kid, like, no, you shouldn't do that. And that's pretty good, actually, understanding, because it usually means to warn. But the word admonish can also just mean to tell you to do something. So our songs ought to teach, so that's going to be content about God, about the gospel, right? But it should also admonish, tell you to do something. So this may take a little bit to think about what kinds of songs do we sing that tell us to do? Well, one, be still my soul. It's telling me to trust, right? Songs that direct you to do something, to respond, are obeying this. They're telling you to do something. So our songs ought to admonish. And then the verse goes on to say, so teaching and admonishing each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And here's what I think the point of that little phrase is, is that our songs ought to be diverse. Our songs ought to be diverse. So the words psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, if you read through church history, especially in the last 200 years, there's been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears over what in the world do those three different words mean. And I've studied a lot. I was going to bring a book that was just specifically about those words, a whole book on it. And the conclusion I have is that they have no idea. <laughs> and the reason is why they don't... I, I, no argument I've heard that tries to give a definition of each of those holds up is because... Okay, those three words in the New Testament, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, they're Greek words. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew and then translated into Greek. When you hear Jesus quoting Scripture, he's usually quoting Greek Old Testament version, translation. Paul often quotes directly from the Greek one. Okay, bear with me here. Those three words, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, the Greek words for those in the Greek Old Testament are used interchangeably so many different ways. So the word psalm in the Old Testament can describe the same thing that the word spiritual song is used to describe, that the word, uh, in other words, it's just like this. <laughs> All, there's no clear thing, which leads me to think, well, then God, what are you saying to us? What I think he's saying to us is your songs ought to be diverse. That there should be all kinds of songs. I remember hearing that, well, okay, a, a hymn, well, we all know what a hymn is. It's in the hymn book. A spiritual song, that's got to be the choruses that we would sing. <laughs> okay. Hmm. And then psalm, that always threw those, those people for a little loop because they never sang psalms. <laughs> um, but the thing is, is I don't think it's limited to that because there's other kinds of songs. There's testimony songs. There's anthems. There's laments. There's responses. And even the three songs that, that Selah picked this morning are almost like three different kinds of songs. And I think by picking a variety of songs, that's what God's telling us to do. As long as those songs are teaching us, telling us what to do, putting God on display right? Not being me-centered. Now, there's a place for testimony. What is God doing in me, right? But they have to be balanced. Balanced is the kind of the key thing here that we need to see. So that's what our songs ought to be. 
I think we ought to ask ourselves this next question. It's kind of hard, and I'm not going to make this open form, but I'd, well, I'd welcome your, your, your thoughts. We need to think about what our songs are. And I know Jeff and I occasionally go out for breakfast and talk about this. We need to ask ourselves always, just evaluate ourselves. Do our songs instruct about the deep things of God? Do our songs admonished? And this is the hardest one, to find songs that actually kind of tell you to do something. Like obey, you're not going to find very many of those. <laughs> like I, I tried to find one day a hymn or an old, even, a, even an old song, let alone new songs, that tell you to repent. Good luck with that. <laughs> like even the old ones, but that there should be. In fact, I think yeah. Jeff's going to be teaching us a new song here in a couple of weeks. He, did, he forgot. He's about to remember Nineveh, oh, yeah. right? Because Nineveh is, is, he's like, oh yeah. <laughs> and the reason we're timing is because we're going to set up, there's a, going to be talking about Jonah and confession, repentance in one of the Luke passages. But there's one. I'm like, oh, wow, that's so odd. But can we find songs that are doing that? We want to keep balance on it. And then also, are our songs diverse? And I, I think it's important that we don't lose the heritage over the centuries. I'm not saying that we need to keep using the old, the same music, but take those, the content of those hymns and make sure we don't lose those. And occasionally keep singing even the old melodies. Maybe put new arrangements with them. We do that with like Come Thou Found and How Firm. You don't want to lose those because that's a rich heritage that gets in your head. And when you and I are in jail for preaching Christ or being persecuted, we need words that are easy to come out and sing to each other, right? And we need Bob to quote us the scriptures that we've all didn't memorize, which we should. I'm, I'm encouraged. Like, I'm like, I need to get back on that bandwagon. So those are the three questions I think we'd ask ourselves. But those questions aren't, I think they're for you as a body to think about, but it's really for Ashley and Jeff and I to make sure we're definitely asking ourselves those questions. You can too, but your question should be, what should my response be, right? You, and here it is. I need to slow down here. You have to see the singing portion of our service as an essential thing. Not as an add-on, not as the warm-up. This means that showing up late or worse, halfway through the service, shows that you minimize the value of singing to God and to one another. It shows that you don't yet see this as an essential thing. And I know that's a hard word, but you have to see the singing portion as your active role in the service. I mean, it's easy for us to get into this corporate gathering thing as a passive thing, especially in the bigger churches where we've got the lights and the fog and it feels like I'm at a concert. It's easy to kind of like to sit back and let it wash over you. And some days there's days I need to do that, right? It's been a rough week. But that can't be your pattern because this verse says to sing. And I have to obey it. Unless we're providentially hindered, like we were for a few weeks in 2020. And I'm so thankful that this church said, oh, we're only doing this for a few weeks because we've got to get back to what we're supposed to do. Unless you're hindered in some way, it not singing is not pleasing to God. And I, I'm, I'm mainly speaking to men right now. 
Because women tend to sing. But guys, we got to sing. And I'm thankful for Donnie's voice that's always booming from the back. (laughs) Right? If you're not singing, or even if you are singing, think about the way I'm singing. What am I communicating to others around me during our time of singing? I'm just mumbling. And, And there may be different reasons for the mumbling. I may have had a really rough week and I'm struggling. Right? It may be that I don't know this song and I'm trying to figure it out, <laughs> which is, which is it's fair because we're, we're trying to learn new songs and get a repertoire, right? But in general, not pleasing is not singing to God. And the primary focus of this verse, as we've seen this morning, is to let the word of Christ take up residence in this corporate gathering by teaching and admonishing one another with a variety of songs. And the rest of this verse still gives us three attributes that also characterize our singing. These will be a little bit quicker. So the fifth attribute is the attitude of our singing. The attitude of our singing. It says, with thankfulness in your hearts. Thankfulness is gratitude. You need, Warren, we used to have these B series, the be thankful, be this and that. And he used to also use this phrase, you need to have an attitude of gratitude. And that's what this verse is saying. That you're singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another, another needs to be coming, flowing out of an attitude of gratitude. Now, if the singing time is a drudgery for you, you may be thinking to yourself, well, Paul, I'm just not a singer. Or maybe I don't, I, I don't have a good voice, Paul. Or I don't enjoy singing. If you take to heart that this command to sing says nothing about how good of a singer you are, or your desire, then you've got the wrong thought. (laughs) You ought to be thinking about, when you come here, the God who made me, who sustains me, who is king of the universe, who I have sinned against, sent his son to die for me and take all of the consequences for my sin that I didn't deserve, and yet he showed me that love. I mean, the consequences I deserve... He gave me love that I didn't deserve. And I get to spend forever with him. If you come into the service with that idea in your head, maybe you just sit down, you come in in the morning before we start, you pray that, remind yourself of that. That will fuel thankfulness, right? You will like, oh, yes, I need to be thankful that I'm not dead, <laughs> that I'm not in hell. I thank you, God. And that will fuel this thankfulness in your singing. Sixth attribute is the genuineness of our singing. It says, with thankfulness in your hearts. In other words, singing from a heart that hasn't been changed by the Spirit of God is fake. But a heart that sees the mercy and grace daily given to it cannot help but praise and rejoice, right? And you may ask, well, what if I don't feel like it? It can seem that this text would be saying, don't sing if it's not from your heart. But that's missing the point of the text. The point is, if you have a heart that's been changed by God's grace, then sing. Sing to one another from a heart that knows the grace of God. So, we've seen that our role in this verse says that we're to teach and admonish one another was singing so that the word of Christ dwells richly in us. 
what we haven't talked about in this verse is what we usually think of singing. What is the word that we usually call? Like a lot of times we call that time of singing. We call it, it starts with a W, worship. Like, wait a second. What is this saying about worship? Well, what's the last two words? <laughs> singing with gratefulness in your heart to God. I think this verse shows us this seventh, this interesting dual purpose of our singing. Um, it's to the Lord. It's actually to God in the text. Because think about there's two things going on here. He's saying sing to one another. But how are you to do it? You're supposed to be doing it from a heart that's fueled by thankfulness to God. <laughs> there's two things going on there. In worship, you're singing to God. Now, let me just take a quick detour because we have some funny notions about what worship is. Um, I used to confuse worship with just let me hear, hear me out here, just the emotions generated while singing in a church service. And I used to interpret my experience as a sign for sure that God was present. Well, the part of the problem is, is the music itself. Music can be deceptive. Let me read you a real quick story here. Bob Coffin tells about this woman who was serving in Africa, and he says, quote, while visiting a health clinic... She was deeply moved by the local Zulu women singing. Their harmonies were hauntingly beautiful. And this woman listening to it with tears in her eyes, brought tears to her eyes, she asked a friend if she knew the translation of the words. So she was moved by that music. Oh, so beautiful. What are they saying? And her friend says, oh, sure. It says, if you boil the water, you won't get dysentery. And Coughlin puts it, being emotionally affected by music and actually worshiping God aren't the same thing. They're related. But you cannot begin to think that simply because my emotions have been swayed that I'm worshiping God. It's interwoven here. So don't hear me saying that emotions are not involved. Here's the point. It's because of the power of music to affect our emotions, we have to be very careful. I'm saying that because of the immense power of music, we have to make sure that we're using it wisely to direct us into true worship. And here's what I would say real true worship is. It's a whole person response to who God is and what God has done. And by whole person, I mean our senses, our minds, our wills, our affections, and our emotions are all involved in this response so our singing has to be a whole person response to God himself. So Paul's saying at the end of this that our singing should be done to God. So what about you? Are you singing from your heart to God? Or are you just playing a game? Are you just hoping for Matt to get up there and just start preaching so we can get this part over with? Remember, that's your active part to be able to sing to God and to one another. It's so critical. So why does all this matter? What difference is the purpose, depth, content, manner, attitude, genuineness, and dual purpose, a seven-point sermon, oh my goodness, of our singing make? That's all of it up there if you were taking notes. If you don't sing, you're resting solely on the preaching from a pastor for the word of Christ to dwell among us. And we're not following this command that we have in this passage. 
And the net effect of that is going to be very disastrous because people will show up that may be unbelievers and they sense nothing from that time when we're singing. They sense these people, what, what is this all about? And then they get to the preaching. They don't walk away with, these people are nuts about God. They just hear that guy that speaks, and that was very neat, but they, 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 they don't see your worship of God and your singing to one another. That's very key. And I'm not saying whether or not we're there. You need to think for yourself, am I, am I there? Am I a singing person? Now, also think about this. Those of you that have had a rough week, those hurting believers beside you or in this room that you don't even know about, if you're not singing, they're not going to hear the balm for their soul from their brothers and sisters. Some of us struggling need to hear others singing to help me walk along this hard road, right? So the opportunity you have when you sing out is to encourage the hearts of your fellow strugglers and it's a privilege to worship God with a heart of gratitude. I knew I'd run out of time, so we won't need to close with a sermon. Sayla's like, or a song. She's like, yes. But it seems weird to end a sermon like this and not sing, right? How many of you know the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow? I've got enough that we can do this. Let's sing that. I'm going to pray. We'll sing it, and then we'll be dismissed. God, we want you to dwell in our midst. We want you to be present and in charge in every aspect of what we do here at church as a local gathering. Even outside of these walls, we want you to be present. But particularly as we're thinking about just this one verse this morning, God, we want you to be present in our singing. Would you use this word from your word to encourage us to just be bold and sing out to one another and help us that are planning music, that we would be careful and thinking and excited about showing others Jesus. So God, would you hear our praises even now as we are dismissed? In Jesus' name, amen.